Here I am to worship. You can see inside a sermon outline, along with a big, thick pamphlet inside there. You might take that out as well and have that at your side. We might look at that for a moment. But, but take out your sermon outline. If you didn't get one, put up your hand and we'll get one to you. Um, uh, Michael will, Milwich will go over and get one and hand it to you if you need one. My text this morning comes from 1 Timothy 4, verse 15. We've been studying 1 Timothy in the Tuesday night men's Bible study, and Paul is a pastor to a pastor. This is a pastor's verse, but it's from a pastor to a pastor to a congregation. And he's talking about Timothy and how he yearns for godliness in Timothy and in Timothy's church, godliness. And he lays out so beautifully what that call of godliness looks like for him. And then this verse, it's a pastor's verse, it's a coach's verse, it's a cheerleader's verse, it's a father's verse to a son. This verse is of great counsel to the North Shore Community Church in the last Sunday of our summer series, and it is this. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So far the reading of God's Word. There are people who are smart. And there are people with a better kind of smart. Now let me explain this to you. There are people who are smart. They have a high IQ. They understand calculus, and they know how to program a computer. They've memorized uh, the Bible. They've got it all in their heads. They know history uh, in extraordinary fashion. There are people who are smart. And then there are people with a better kind of smart. What do I mean by that? Well, there are people who just seem to have deep and enduring friendships that last and bless over time. There are people who have good marriages. That is, within their marriage, there is this flow of health and mutual encouragement and buoyancy. They are lifted up. They lift up each other in their marriage. There are people who perform so well in the workplace that their boss really enjoys them, and the people who work under them really respect and enjoy them, and their colleagues around them find them fun and pleasant to be with. There are people who seem to have less conflict in life, and when they do have conflict, because conflict is inevitable, everybody has conflict, these people seem able to work it through quickly and completely and move forward And there are people who have a witness for the Lord that is just so natural and appealing that folks are attracted to God through them. There are people who are smart, but being smart does not guarantee all those wonderful relational qualities. In fact, studies have shown that high IQ is not a guarantee of a good marriage 
or advancement in the workplace or that your children will like you. But what Ken Sandy says, and we've been quoting him all summer in our study on relational wisdom, his blogs and his his material, what Ken Sandy says is there's smart and then there's a better kind of smart. And the better kind of smart is what he calls relational wisdom. That's what we've been studying together. And we choose the word wisdom because the Bible is relentless in its lavish call to us to grow in wisdom. Inside your bulletin and the reflection is a beautiful passage from Proverbs 3, which says, if you look at it, it says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And the Bible speaks about wisdom in terms of finances, speaks about wisdom in terms of work and the seasons of life. It speaks about wisdom in terms of sexuality, but the Bible speaks about relational wisdom all through the Scriptures. And we ourselves, together this summer, have said what we want to do is have an upgrade, right? We want to upgrade our relational operating system and get wisdom from God, for the workplace, for our marriages, for parenting, for getting along with the other kids at school. God, will you upgrade our relational operating system? You know, a person can be a bully before they become a Christian. You can be a bully before you become a Christian. Then you become a Christian. What are you then? You're a Christian bully. A person can be mean and selfish before they become a Christian, then they become a Christian. What are they then? They're a mean Christian. (laughs) They're a selfish Christian. Until the transforming work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to change them from the inside out and do what the Bible calls sanctification the cleansing of the old man and the putting on of the new, and that is a process through the rest of our lives. He's giving us relational wisdom and upgrading our relational system. You can change and grow. It's really interesting. That's just point number one. You can improve your relational wisdom. Our, our friends, psychiatrists and psychologists, they will say that in general, By the time a boy or a girl turns 16, their IQ is set. That is to say, you take an IQ test, maybe it's early or late, but by the time you're 16, you take an IQ test at 16 and you take it again at 46, it'll be about the same. They would tell us that personality gets shaped early on, and by the time you're a teenager, 
If you're an introvert as a teenager at age 16, by the time you're 46, you'll still be an introvert. And if you're gregarious and outgoing and and you're just a people person, you love being with your friends, you're a people person by the time you're 16, when you're 46, guess what? You'll still be gregarious and social and enjoy that. Some of you are task-oriented. You were task-oriented when you were 16. You were get-it-done-and-make-it-happen kind of person. Others of you, again, you're a people person. Those personality traits largely don't change. But social scientists tell us there are things that do change in us, and and they are studying what is called emotional intelligence, that self-awareness and other awareness, that empathy and sympathy, that engagement that serves other people, and they have somehow discovered that 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 part of our life can actually grow and mature. (laughs) And the neurologists and psychiatrists, they're trying to trace neural pathways. What are the new neural pathways that are developed that allow people to change? And I don't know, maybe they'll find it. But the Bible calls it sanctification. The Bible calls it newness of life, the life of Christ that comes and grows inside of us. How does it happen? Well, it's not automatic. The verse we have says, practice these things. Isn't that interesting? He says, practice godliness. And in your program, in the sermon outline, you'll see that there's this little wheel at the top of the outline. Take a look at the wheel. What do we have here? Well, we have learned that relational wisdom is made up of three components and two dynamics in each one. What are you to practice? You're to practice God-awareness and God-engagement, self-awareness, self-engagement, other-awareness, other engagement. And I hope that by now this is becoming regular vocabulary in your heart and your mind. Okay? North Shore Church, this is vocabulary, not just definitions. It's working vocabulary in your marriage, at the workplace, at school. And what we are to do, according to Paul, to young Timothy, is practice these things. I did watch some of the Olympics. Did you? It was extraordinary to see Katie Ledecky. And what I loved about watching her swim, Michael Phelps swim, is they not only had cameras from the top of the natatorium. Where else did they have cameras? Underneath. And you are actually able to watch the stroke of Katie Ledecky pulling with force and power as she glides through the water and the perfect efficiency of Michael Phelps' stroke as he compels himself forward through the water. And you can see the exquisite perfection of their stroke from years of practice. I watched some of the rowing. Have you ever seen rowing? It's extraordinary. It's, It's an amazing sport. And when you put four men or four women in one of those, those thin boats as it, as it moves through the water and the gun goes off, they begin to row in perfect synchronization, don't they? Their timing is impeccable and it's back and it's forth all together. It, it can, propels the boat forward. And, and you can see that they are one. 
They have been practicing. Their timing is down together. And if one of them, if one of them happens to miss by half a second, what does it do? It throws the whole boat off, and the boat skews off to the side. And, and uh, just, just, it's just a, an eighth of a second, a, a, a half of a second. But they practice. They practice. Paul uses this word. He says, practice these things. It's repetition. It's working them over and over again. Now, you've heard the saying, haven't you? Your dad probably said, practice makes perfect. Well, actually, no, it doesn't. (laughs) Michael Phelps still got a silver medal. You know, David Wright, he still only gets on base three out of ten times. But practice does improve you. You do improve as you practice, as there is the repetition of the the working of these things in your life. The Greek word here is melato, which means to care for and to attend to. See, Michael Phelps attends to his stroke. And those people rowing, they attend to the call of the time in the boat. They pay attention. And if you care deeply, and if you practice, you will get that upgrade. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, you see it in your outline there, speaks of this sanctification that God is doing. He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you, see, that's God's initiative, as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So it is, it's, it's clearly God's will that you grow in godliness, all right? Nobody here should think for a moment that God does not want you to grow in godliness. <clears throat> we say at the North Shore Community Church, if you're watching online, live streaming, we want you to know something. We want you to know that God loves you just as you are. You don't have to perform. You don't have to light a candle or say a, run through religious hoops. You come to Jesus. Jesus welcomes you. God loves you just as you are. I don't care how far you've fallen, what struggles you face. He loves you just as you are. But we also say around here, He loves you too much to leave you just as you are. Because He loves you, He's going to change you. He's going to grow you. And He is going to work in you new practices, new habits, new ways of thinking and living. And He loves you too much just to leave you as you are. And if you're here today and you say, oh, I like the first part but not the second part, too bad for you because He loves you too much to leave you in your sinful patterns and your ways. He loves you so much. He's going to grow you and sanctify you. So what do you do? You practice. You have new routines so that you become who you are in Christ. And that's another saying we have around here. Become what you are in Christ. And you spend the rest of your life doing it. You practice routines of God-awareness, 
self-awareness, other awareness. What kind of routines? Well, I can't take the whole summer back, but if you're new to us today, we said, you know, you want to actually be other aware and not just thinking about yourself all the time. You start to pay attention to people and you decide to like people. Remember, we said it's kind of important for a Christian to actually want to like people and desire to bless other people. Wouldn't that be nice, North Shore member, if they knew you liked them, that you were glad to see them? And then we talked about smiling. Remember the power, the transformational power of a smile, just a warm welcome to engage. And then you see someone struggling on the side of the road and no longer like the, 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 the uh, Levites and Pharisees who went to the other side of the road, but you, you're going to go toward them and engage them and help them and bless them. That's other awareness, other engagement. And you're going to practice these things. Parents, practice with your children how to greet, how to shake hands, how to welcome. Model hospitality in your home so your children are like that. That's, uh, that's the other awareness. Then there's self-awareness, and you're going to practice paying attention to yourself. Did you know that? King David does it. He says things like, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Some of us are depressed and sad, and we don't even know it. Some of us are seething with anger and rage. It's just below the surface. And we're just not aware of it. We're not self-aware. Our kids can see it. Our husband or wife can see it. But we can't see it. We need to be self-aware. Talk to yourself. And this self-awareness is really important when it comes to temptation. Temptation. What, what, what's temptation? Well, the devil wants to destroy you, and he would love for you to walk right off the cliff. Some people are never aware of temptation. They just merrily walk and skip right toward the cliff, and they go over the cliff. But, but, but others of us, maybe... We start paying attention to ourselves, and you suddenly feel an urge. You're driving a car, and somebody pulls in front of you, and you suddenly have this impulse for a very unclean word to come out of your mouth, an attitude that would be on the continuum of murder is rising in your heart, and you say, huh, I'm being tempted right now. I'm being tempted, and I don't have to do this. I don't have to say this. I don't have to think this. And you become aware, self-aware of what's going on. You know, Jesus Christ modeled self-awareness. When the devil tempted him in the wilderness, Jesus knew exactly what the devil was doing inside his soul, tempting him, and then Jesus answered it with Scripture and with a heart of love for his Father. You see, there's a self-awareness and self-management that you practice. I don't know where the devil lures you. He's got bait. He has a tackle box full of bait that is just, just right, that has your name on it. And I don't know what your struggle is. I've got plenty of my own. I know the devil has a tackle box with the kind of lure that John Yenchko really likes. But I start to discover what that is, and ha! I say, I don't have to do that. I don't have to think that. I can stop and turn, you see, from self-awareness. But this really leads to point two, because it's the practice of God-awareness 
That is where, where it's really crucial. And your growth, here's point number two on the back of your sermon outline, if you'll follow with me, your growth will ultimately depend on what GPS you choose to live by. And this is really interesting because Paul says practice these things and then the, the ESV translates it, immerse yourself in these things. And when it comes to immersion, the most important immersion is at the top of this circle on your outline. Most important immersion is in God, God awareness, God engagement. Some of you will realize that this is a joke, but we are an immersionist church. We believe in immersion. Yes, we do. Now, not when it comes to baptism, water baptism. We're not immersionist. We don't do that. We're persuaded that the Bible teaches that the proper way to baptize someone is to pour water over their head or to sprinkle water on their head. We have other friends who who have the idea that you're supposed to dunk people uh, for baptism, and that would be an immersionist mode of baptism. But uh, that's an intramural debate within Christendom. For us, we're not persuaded of that, but we are, make no mistake, we are an immersionist church, but we immerse in something much more crucial than water. You must be immersed in these things in God. And it says, in, in the old hymn, it says, picture this, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unending, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of thy love leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. This is immersion in Christ's love. And this is what you and I desperately need. Paul says, immerse yourselves in godliness and in God. Do you do that? Is this descriptive of you? The New American Standard actually translates it, be absorbed in these things so that it's not just on the outside of you as you're floating around in it, but you're like a sponge absorbing. The, the Greek word, esthe, there, it actually does mean to be given wholly to these things, to God. Please hear me. Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, are not a, a, a little packet of splendor. They are not a little packet of stevia to sweeten, to add to a little bitter life that you may have. You need a little sweeter, sweetener because it's a little bitter. Jesus is not a sweetener. Jesus is everything. God is everything. Be absorbed with God. Be immersed in God in your life. I, I'm not that good at it. I'm at the front of the line wanting... To, to grow in these things. How do you do it? Well, let me remind you how, how we teach ourselves in our discipleship in this church. What we do first is we get information about God. Where from? From the Bible. We get the information from God. And then we meditate. That's meditation, information, then meditation. And then it leads 
to contemplation, and that's the very engagement with God. I gave you a few Bible verses that you could practice with. You have Romans 6.22. He says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so you, you say to yourself, well, the information is that God sets people free from sin. God actually takes people captive to Himself and He, he owns them. That's the information. And then you start to, to meditate on it. This is remarkable. Bad habits, sinful patterns get loosened and begin to dissolve in the life of the Christian. Isn't that marvelous? He sets them free. He sets people free from these things. And He brings dead people to life and He gives them new life. And then you start to, that's meditation, and then you contemplate. And you say, oh, oh Lord, You have brought me when I was dead to life. We read that passage in Romans, when I was weak, You loved me, and You died for me, for me. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's interesting information. It's interesting information. God's Spirit makes people into new creations. Once again, you start to meditate on that. Doesn't the Bible say something about how God takes a lump of clay and turns it into a beautiful living piece of pottery? Doesn't the Bible say God takes dead people and makes them alive like He did the first man? He breathed life into Adam, and now He breathes new life into people? Amazing. And then you start contemplation. And you did that for me. You did that for me. Can it be that I gain from what Jesus did on the cross? The cross, that place, not just where the information He died, not just that it atones for people's sins, but He did it for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And you get something. It's called a GPS. When you do these things, you get a new GPS. I told you, I'm so happy we have a GPS in our car. It saved our marriage. You know, I want to go this way. She wants to go that way. I'm, I tell me, tell me, where, where, does, where do we turn? Don't, I don't know. We don't have to do that anymore. We have a GPS. Ken Sandy says there's a spiritual GPS, a God positioning system that comes from knowing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, and then contemplation of the spiritual realities in your soul. This is how you become God-aware and God-engaged. And I'll tell you, I've been, I've been spending time trying to do that these past two weeks, and it has been I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you. I would take a 15-minute segment, just set the timer on your smartphone for 15 minutes and contemplate the majesty of God. Just 15 minutes? Can you do that for 15 minutes? Contemplate the infinity of God. 
who is bigger not just than the earth, who is bigger not just than the solar system, we're just the third rock from the sun, who is not just the size of the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way is just but a small galaxy among billions of galaxies. The infinity of God. And then take it down, take it down to the microscopic, the cellular level and the microscopic level down to the atom. And, and amazing. The purity of God. Think about the, not just the infinity of God, the purity of God. There is no shadow. God is light. I spend 15 minutes thinking that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. The purity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you, you who walk in such a filthy earth, such a morally corrupt world have been introduced to the holy God. And you can enjoy Him. You see, this, my friends, is how you establish the GPS in your life. Will you do this? Will you practice these things? Will you immerse yourself in God? Oh, you say, I think I've outgrown that. I've been to the greenhouse class. I've been to the adult Sunday school class. Thank you. Uh, very much. I've, I listened to Charles Stanley or, or R.C. Sproul on the radio. I think I've learned enough. Thank you. And I told you about the missionary from Korea who came back from Pusan, Gene List. And in his older age, I said, what did you learn, Gene? And he said, I learned this, John. The older I get, the more I see I need to preach the gospel to me. Here he was, a missionary to them. And what did he learn? I must immerse myself relentlessly, repeatedly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you do this, when you are this way, the GPS gets set. Oh, friends, otherwise it's just trying harder. It's just... The North Shore Community Church is a place for some self-improvement. No. Please, pay attention here. Jesus said to His disciples in John 13, 34, He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, what is the key phrase in that verse, verse 34? The key phrase... It's not the command to love. What is the key phrase that unlocks the power? What is it? Just as I have loved you. You see, you'll never be free to love your enemy, to love an ungrateful child, to love a deceptive parent, to love an unfaithful spouse. You'll never be able to love them with the love of Jesus Christ until you first know His love. Some of you have a boss at work who is cruel. How can you love him or her? Jesus says, as I have loved you, underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to that glorious rest above, the current of his love for you. And that leads to the third point. The third point is that these things are not just suggestions. 
to make you a bit friendlier. This is not a, this is not a, a moral self-improvement course that we've engaged in this summer, is it? This is a call to love. We talk in the membership orientation class that we are not just the friendly family. We are to be the loving family, and that there's a world of difference between them. So it's about love, and these relational commitments that we make come out of, out of this relational wisdom that we have, and it's the vocabulary that we embrace, God-awareness, God-engagement, self-awareness, self-engagement, other-awareness, other-engagement, love for God and love for self and love for others, powerfully displayed. And then Paul says, the third phrase, that all may see your progress. And he's not here just talking about the fact that you've displayed a little bit of personal growth. He's, he's saying, so that everyone you rub shoulders with notices. Wow. Your, God's, your God is at work in you. They notice. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If your wife said, I think God's at work in you. If your husband said, I, I think God's at work in you. If your employees said, something's going on. I think God's at work in you. What do you think? Wouldn't that be wonderful that all may see your progress? He's talking about it being a reality among the people with whom you, of whom, with whom you live. Listen, I have to say this carefully, but this is the end of the series, so I'm, I have to say this carefully. We have people who leave our church. Now, hopefully, it's not because we've been a jerk or we've been obnoxious or something. Hopefully, it's not because we sinned against them. But there are people who have come into our church gatherings, and they come sometimes for a week, a month, a year, several years. But they always stay, stand off. And then finally, they say, I can't take this anymore. This is too real. And that's a quote from several people. This is too real. I just want to go sit in a church where they might help me be a little bit of a better person. And I need some good advice. My friends, this is not just good advice. This is life. This is godliness. Practice these things. Be immersed in these things. Have your GPS fixed on God that you may display to the world all that you touch base with that you're alive in Christ. We have in your program the relational commitments that say how serious we are about this. And I need to hand this out to you once a year. It's in the membership packet. But it says and then that, that first bullet point on page 2 that our relational commitments in the body of Christ remind us of our mutual commitment to work together to pursue unity, maintain friendships, 
preserve marriages and build relationships that reflect the love of Christ. That's what we're about. And it's too much for some people. But I pray it's not for you. Now, I want, you know, if you're here and and you're just saying, I'm new to this, Pastor, you're getting a little intense, you're welcome. Stay. Please stay. Please don't run off. I hope you get some good advice while you're here. But it's not what we're about. We want to practice these things. We want to immerse ourselves in these things so it becomes the vocabulary of our soul. And it displays to the world the love of Jesus Christ. What I, I hope you'll take this home and read it. I hope you'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what we're about. You see, it even, it even talks about accountability and church discipline here. But you know what? We, we don't just get on people's cases if they commit adultery or, or embezzle from the company. It says in here that if you gossip, gossip is a sin, And we want to deal with gossip and slander. We don't tolerate gossip and slander here because we take our relationships so seriously here. And we need relational wisdom to fulfill our relational commitments in the family of the North Shore Community Church. There's a better kind of smart, you see. Some of us have a PhD or some of us have... Uh, uh, all kinds of letters at the end of our names. That's no guarantee of good relationships. It's not. There's lots of highly intelligent people who are obnoxious and unpleasant. But there's a better kind of smart. Isn't that what you want? Wisdom. Relational wisdom that comes from Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh, Lord, this is what we want, and I want to be the first in line. I, I want to be the first in line to tell you I need an upgrade, and I want progress. Our Father, we have children here. We want to see progress in their life. We have teenagers here. We love them. Oh, how we long for our teenagers to be spared the foolishness of worldly ways and for new love in their life. Oh, Lord, we want to see them grow. Lord, we have single people in our church. Some are single and some are single again through widowhood or divorce. And we pray for them. We bless them and we ask that they would grow. Some of us are married. And our Father... We humble ourselves telling you that our marriages are not yet what you want them to be. And we want there to be progress in this relational skill set that you are upgrading in us. Please, O Lord. Some of us are approaching old age. Some of us wonder, can an old dog learn new tricks? And yet... There is this promise of change and growth, and we thank you. We pray for our senior citizens that they too will relish the growth you want to give them in their life. All of this, O Lord, all of this comes from a desperate need for you to be our GPS. 
for Jesus to be our Savior, for God to be our Father, and for the Holy Spirit to fill us and refill us again and again. This is our heart's desire so that you would move us to be who you say we are. And so we pray, our Father, that we would be who you say we are. Please, O Lord. We believe you're going to do good things. We believe you are alive and you are making us new. And so we celebrate who we are in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.